apparently. Speaking of which, did you guys see the thing I just posted? This was the headline from yesterday. Attention, the public octopus sex act has been canceled. Seattle Aquarium <laughs> cancels annual Valentine's Day mating ritual, fearing the cephalopods might turn to cannibalism. Jesus Christ, I just found it. <laughs> Which might be the greatest, I mean, that might be the single greatest lead I've ever heard for oh anything ever. Like, Everybody else just quit. That's like, you, like, you, you have my attention. Right <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the Disciples of Euchre podcast. My name is Vineet Barod, and today I'm joined by two esteemed guests, uh, Ryan Top and Kyle Lushninski. And I almost got that right. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Good. How are you, Vineet? Good. Ryan? I'm all right. Yeah? I'm all right. Cool. Yeah. What, what time does the Badger game start? Uh, 5.30-ish. Okay, great. Right. So this is great. So this is going to be a three-hour podcast. Oh, Good, 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 good. I'm, I'm glad I did research. Well, it might have to be because look at, holy crap, look at all the different transactions that David Stearns has already done this winter. Yeah, I've got uh, since October 4th, when the last day of the season, um, Stearns has made nine trades, claimed four players, made 16 minor League free agent signings, one major league free agent signing, and two Rule Five draft picks. Wow, that's insane. Um, yeah, Ryan, have you been keeping track of all these? Yeah, I was just I was looking at numbers and just kind of getting a feel for like what this overall was, and it's kind of amazing. So they've traded out nine players and gotten sixteen back, right? Um. Of the players that they traded out, you could legitimately say, you know, maybe four of them were established major league impact players. Then Davis, Segura, um, Karad, and so forth. Oh, Lind. That those are the four, and none of those guys are stars. None of those have major impact. Lind is probably the best among them, but also has, you know, sort of the the age downside going for him. And yet they've returned the of the 16 players that they returned, um 7 of them are 20 or under. 4 of, or 5 of them are not yet 20. They have one 18-year-old and four 19-year-olds that they traded for. Wow. And so like the average age of that breaks down to like 22 they're Ryan, basically like yeah. they've just gone incredibly incredibly young uh, so that this reminds me of uh ryan if you remember from um our conversation i think it was a trade deadline last year and um because i think yeah i think it was on the heels of the gomez trade basically and we were talking about how all these trades and especially the brewers have been going um a lot younger, but then if you remember, we kind of like looked through the transaction catalogs and it was still like, well, they're kind of younger, but they're still all like double A sort of. But then like, like if you look at this winter, it's what you, what you said about the trade deadline is like even more true about the winter, like especially for the brewers. Like they've really just picked, like with the Adam Lynn train, just picked teenagers that like people are like, don't even know who they are necessarily like casual fans i should say yeah and they're they're getting guys i think what they hope 
is before they break out and become big time prospects. You know, they've they've added a number of players with with considerable upside, uh, but who maybe don't have of the guys they've traded. I think Nottingham is the only one who's made a major top twenty list in the David Stearns era. Correct. I, I don't believe anybody else has um... made a top a top one hundred list. Top 100 were... overall prospect. Overall, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. And even even Nottingham, and we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit here, but even Nottingham was kind of a little bit. He wasn't necessarily top 100 on all the lists. Um, no, no, in fact, only baseball. Only. Uh, Kyle, I so speaking of the young thing, because one of the things that I noticed is that, for example, with the Gomez trade, um, they traded away Mike Fires, and then with the Segura trade, they um, they, you know, they're giving up other major league players in order to get even younger return. And I don't, like, do you think that's a deliberate thing, or do you think that's just that's just those trades happen to work out? Um, I think it might be kind of more of a deliberate thing. Like, if you look, uh, Chris Davis, for, so he's a little bit on the, the older end of the spectrum. By the time the Brewers are getting into competitive mode, he's going to be on the side of 30 and probably edging towards his decline. So... Players mm-hmm. like that are necessarily going to be, you know, great long-term holds, even though they do come with, or they do have more years of club control remaining. Um, getting younger just kind of, <clears throat> it, it gives you a better chance that these players that are now coming up through the system and right at the cusp of the major league level, they're hitting their prime years when the Brewers are, you know, opening their competitive window back up. Um, yeah, I mean... So let's okay. Let's get into the Gene Segura trade, right? Or Jean Segura, I should say. Um, Is that a thing? I didn't know that, that was a thing. What? Jean Segura. Yeah, it's that's it's, his I, name. It is actually per, technically supposed to be pronounced Jean. Huh. It was it was one of those things where it was like he he like people started calling him Gene, and he was like, uh, all right, like I'm not gonna correct people, and then like oh. people just kept calling him Gene, and then like. What it's like was the it Monte like? Ball situation? Is that what it was? Why is it Monty? Well, no. Everybody called him Monty, and it was actually Monte. I honestly, I, somehow, I missed that this was a thing. He said that since he left, that it was actually no, Jones. no, no. This was like a year ago, I think. Yeah, right, Kyle. Told, yeah. Um, I know he told somebody at one oh five seven Milwaukee that it's pronounced Sean. I think it might have been Michaels, but yeah, it is because I mean, when you think of a, a guy from the Dominican Republic, you don't think Gene is just not like a typical right. pronunciation for something. So Kyle, so, can, you, can you run us through the uh, trade real quick? Who, who were the players that went out and who came in? The Segura trade? Yeah. Um, they sent out uh, Segura, obviously, and then Ty Wagner, a minor league prospect, uh, pitched in double A and had a couple starts in the big leagues last year. Um, and in return, they got... Uh, Aaron Hill, who's on an expiring contract, and the Jacks picked up six and a half million of his remaining salary for this coming season. Uh, they got Chase Anderson, who's a 28-year-old right-handed starter, um, got a little over a year of experience in the big leagues and has had some pretty decent results. And then uh, finally, they got Isan Diaz, who's a 19-year-old that led the Pioneer League in OPS last season. But one of the things that, that I kept going back to is it just seemed like this trade could have been a lot smaller subset of of itself. Like, 
like it could have been split into multiple different packages and then like somehow just combined into one big thing like and okay so going back to what we were talking about earlier tyler wagner for example you know he could it's conceivable that he would have been uh, pretty good even when the brewers started competing again right so he didn't need to be leaving the system necessarily so the diamondbacks maybe wanted some like wanted something else in return for Isan Diaz or like Ryan how do you think like okay so when they started when they picked up the phone and started talking about this trade like probably like Segura was the first name right like okay we want Segura or hey we want to trade Segura and then the rest of the players kind of like went down the list like like how how do you think that like conversation went between the two teams my understanding of it from just published media reports was that the Brewers had been asking about um, uh for a good portion of the offseason. That Stearns was high on him, and Stearns was trying to get that done. I do and remember that, seeing that as well. Yeah. So I think that from the Brewers' perspective, he was the prize that they were after. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet I suspect he alone probably wasn't enough for Segura, like a straight up Segura for um, for Diaz trade was not going to be enough uh, from the Brewer side, and it may not have been something that the Diamondbacks were really interested in doing either. Uh, so I think that a big part of it was, you know, the Diamondbacks have been trying to clear salary. This is their third salary dump trade in the last calendar year, at least. Right, because you mean including like the Tuki Toussaint. Right. Uh, when Bronson Arroyo thing. Right. So they've um, been dumping salary left and right wherever they can, and that was key for them in this deal. And then I don't know who it was again. It might have been Keith Law, maybe who, or somebody at Fangraphs, maybe Dave Cameron, basically said that Wagner is sort of, or sorry, that Anderson is sort of the likely best case scenario for. Wagner. So like, if everything kind of works out for Wagner, you could kind of see him being about as good as Jason Anderson is. It's like, and, and Wagner only has what, like one extra year of control than Anderson? Anderson has one full year in at this point, correct? Or does he have two? I think it's just one. He's got in between one and two years, so he's still got another five years of club control remaining. Okay. So yeah. So and <clears throat> Wagner definitely doesn't have anything that would... You wouldn't think Wagner would pick up a full year this year. Like, he's not right. He's not likely to pick up that full year this year just because he wasn't on the Major League roster very much last year. So he'd have to be up virtually this whole season for this to be a full year for him. So, so Kyle, what about Aaron Hill and Isan Diaz for Jean Segura? Would that, I mean, to me, that would have been a fine deal, right? And then, like, the money would slide depending on what each side thought was was more comfortable for them. Yeah, I I think that that that, that might have worked. I don't know how much um, how much the salary kind of would play into it that way because even though the Diamondbacks are you know taking on so much of Aaron Hill's contract, they're only really saving, I guess maybe two or three million dollars when you look at the fact that Segura is still you know on he's making. 2.6 million coming into next season, I think. 
Um, but I thought it was a smart move by Stearns to try and, and leverage his assets a little bit. If Personally, I'm not all that high on Tyler Wagner. Um, I think that his likely outcome is going to be a reliever kind of in the vein of Brandon Kinsler, which is somewhat valuable, but it's not as valuable as a guy like Chase Anderson who can give you 150, 180 innings of a legit number four, number five starter right around that 95, 100 ERA plus range. Um, like Ryan said, uh, I think that Anderson is pretty much like what the best case scenario for Tyler Wagner is. So that in and of itself is another nice upgrade to the deal that Stearns made. So Kyle, why, why, I mean, from what we're discussing right now, it sounds like it was in a, it was a smart deal by Stearns, but not necessarily lopsided, but if you you looked at the national media, I mean, they ripped the Diamondbacks apart. And this might go back to our conversation, Kyle, about um, Segura's defense that we had a few months back and whether, you know, and I, it was kind of a nuanced uh, debate because, you know, I, I said he had an average short, shortstop at best. And then I think um, uh, some people, including yourself, were thinking that he's really above average and does that play into it? And so is the national media, because they think Segura is a below-average shortstop, they think that Diamondbacks got hosed on this? Um, I think that that definitely does play into it. Uh, when you look at the stats, like DRS is low on Segura, but um, baseball prospectus fielding runs above average looks at him as like, like an elite defender at shortstop. But, you know, using the eye test and, and just watching how he plays, he's kind of somewhere in the middle. I would think he's closer to above average than he is to average or below, like the, some people seem to think. Right. I mean, like Keith Law's thinking, hey, and others are thinking he's not, he may not even last a shortstop. Like he's going to play second base in, in Arizona. Well, when when you look... As he gets a little bit older and gets a little bit thicker with age, he's probably going to end up having to transition transition to second base at some point. But I don't think that that's in the immediate future at all. I would think that he's probably got at least another two or three years at shortstop before you know he has any significant um, deficiencies come up at that position. So I, I think that any real concerns about his defense from that standpoint are overblown. So, so you thought you thought it was an okay deal for the Diamondbacks then? Um, I guess from the from the standpoint of getting rid of Aaron Hill, which they've been wanting to do, it seems like for two years now. Um, you know, they they did a decent job from that standpoint in clearing out some salary. Um, but as far as value goes, I think the Brewers got the better end of the deal from that standpoint, given that Hill's going to be able to soak up some at-bats at second base and at third base, because they do need to fill out a major league team, obviously. Um, Anderson, another five years of control for a guy who can, you know, be a one-and-a-half to two-war pitcher consistently. And then Isan Diaz, who's a pretty well-regarded prospect, I think, from that standpoint, the Brewers did really well given up or given the fact that they gave up a guy who's <clears throat> been almost 
almost 40% below average offensively over the last two and a half years, and then a likely minor league reliever. Ryan, this uh, this reminds me of the conversation that you and JP had um, back in your older podcast. Uh, this was like, I think in 2013, when you guys talked about Segura um, and Segura versus Orlando Arcia. And I think I remember your comment being like, well, Segura just looks like a second baseman. Like just if you just if you didn't watch him play shortstop, he just looks like he would be a, a middle infielder second baseman. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The shorter squatter body, um, you know, just like his build, he he does. He looks like a second baseman because people expect their shortstops to be a little uh, lankier, a little more giving the impression that they have range, even though Segura's range seems pretty okay to me. Um, and the plus arm really, you know, makes up for it and makes him, I think, I would say, I'm comfortable saying, I feel like he's at least an average shortstop. Um, right, which which has been my position. So, Ryan, do you think Arizona got, got hosed in that case? I mean... What's the right word? Fleeced? Hosed? Are they both appropriate? What Arizona is doing is not the way I think a team should be run. Like, what they're doing is sort of... They're, they're throwing a lot of into this basket they had they in fairness they scored the most runs in the national league last year i believe so they were a good run scoring team and they're a good defensive team they were they had those things going for them and they had terrible pitching so they go out and they spend all of the money's on that green key and then trade for uh for shelby miller in what looks like a majorly lopsided deal but the same way that you know if they win a World Series, no one cares anymore. I mean, they potentially have set themselves up to be a, a legitimate contender this year. They don't have much depth. They, In a lot of ways, this reminds me of what the Brewers did in 2011, where they sort of sold the farm and gave up a lot of you know potential future value to try to win in the short term. It could work. Uh, the Brewers also had, I think the Brewers were in a little bit better position than the Diamondbacks were to make those moves because they had a Giovanni Gallardo and they had Randy Wolf already on the pitching staff. Grinky and Miller are being added to not nearly so good an already established core. I mean, who's who's the number three man there, Corbin? Right. But if this is going to be how they're going to run the team, the deal isn't insane in that it might make them marginally better this year, especially if they really, they're really betting on Segura having, unlocking the power potential and the, the, the bat that we thought we were getting when we traded for him in 2012. Mm -hmm. They're hoping that's still in there. Otherwise this trade is completely insane. Well, so yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it's, this is a Brewers podcast, but I wanted to talk about the Diamondbacks I think because, like, there's – does anybody see a downside to this trade from a Brewer's point of view? Either of you guys? Like, is there a downside to this trade? No, I don't, I don't see a significant downside to this trade for the Brewers. I mean, like, not, I can't, I can't think of anything downside. to even – right. If, that, well, if Gene Segura has a monster year this year with the bat. Yeah. Uh, right, all right. I mean, things could happen, but, like, in, in terms of, like – 
direction of the team or like overall value on paper. Like I can't find too many counter arguments from the Brewers' no. point of view. No, absolutely not. Um, okay. So, uh, so I wanted to contrast that with the most recent t- trade, which was uh, Chris Davis, which just happened what yesterday. Um, Chris Davis for uh, went to the Oakland went to Oakland A's for um, Jacob Nottingham, the catcher, and Bubba Derby, which is fun. And and I the reason I wanted to contrast that is because. Um, Ryan, I think you were talking about that because, hey, maybe because it's the A's, people just kind of think that it must be a um, close to even trade, if not going out ahead, just because it's Billy Bean, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but again, the same thing. I mean, like they got a lot. I think the Brewers got a lot more in return than a lot of people expected. And then, Kyle, I wonder if that's because people underrated Chris Davis. Um, I, I don't think it's any secret that uh, I'm a big Chris Davis fan, and yep. <laughs> he, and um, just listening to to people talk about him and listening to local radio here in Milwaukee, you can tell that a lot of people don't like Chris Davis. He's probably the most divisive brewer that's been on the team since Ricky Weeks left, and maybe even more than that. Um, <clears throat> People always want to rail against his batting average and his uh, strikeout rate, and and especially his throwing arm. But um, if you remember, uh, over last season, I think it was like last September, um, Nick Zettel posted at Disciples of Euchre uh, an article called on arms and base running. And I think that that did a terrific job of illustrating that a lot of the concerns about Chris Davis's lack of arm arm strength are pretty overstated. Um, 47% of the time a runner on second base score or a runner on first base scores on a double and 58% of the time a runner scores on second base on a single. So I I don't necessarily think that having Chris Davis in left field is going to change that all that much. Yeah, guys are probably going to be a little bit more aggressive but when you look at it statistically the only team that really was more aggressive on Chris Davis's arm was the Pittsburgh Pirates so and we know that they are a pretty aggressive team from that standpoint and have really good advanced scouts and everything like that um but then when you look at him offensively like for example last season Chris Davis was second among left fielders with 27 home runs. He was fifth with an 828 OPS and a 353 weighted on base average, weighted on base average, and seventh with a 121 rated runs created plus. And I mean, those are pretty terrific numbers. The average left fielder last season had a 99 weighted runs created plus. So, I mean, he was 22% better offensively than the average left fielder across baseball right no lrc plus i mean is generally a uh, hundred is league average for across all batters so um so yeah that's he's about 20 percent better in general than than the league average hitter which is very valuable I mean, you'd somebody with a 20 percent better bat and like i don't know 40 percent below average arm you'll take that any day so i was looking at um inside Feeling this morning, and he converted a higher percentage of remote, unlikely, 
even and likely plays across the board than the rest of the league or than an average left fielder would and also converted, you know, 99.3% of routine plays, which is, you know, right where it should be. So he makes an above average amount of outs, which kind of helps outweigh the fact that sometimes guys are going to take the extra base on his arm. Overall, he's he's not a great fielder. He's right around average. I think uh, DRS has him at negative three runs at right around 2,300 innings for his career. So that's not really that significant of a detriment over such a large sample size. Ryan, do you want to uh, talk about the uh, the prospects Brewers got in, in return real quick? So Nottingham, really good bat, catching prospect, but a lot of people don't think he's going to stick uh, behind the plate, right? Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus. Big arm, um, bad uh, footwork, receiving skills, those things uh, are going to need to improve for him to stay behind the plate, which is... now. So, and if you, But if you believe that... Um, if if you believe that the Brewers are generally very good at teaching catchers, and I'm using the sample size of two of Lucroy and Maldi, and um, so if, if you think it's an organizational thing, then maybe you have trust in believing that he can stick behind the plate. Nottingham can stick behind the plate, but then on the other hand, we had uh, Clint Coulter, who transitioned to right field. Um, Though with him, I don't, I'm not sure how much that was because of his personal focus and his, because his bat needed to improve and and maybe he was getting too distracted behind the plate or something and switched to right field. Um, but it's I guess if you believe the Maldi Lucroy thing and Maldi and Lucroy are still on the team, not that not that uh, Nottingham will be on the major league roster anytime soon. But if you believe in the system being good at developing catchers, then this is a good sign. Sure, I have, I have no idea if they are above average, below average, whatever, developing catchers. But it's raw material to work with, at least. It's a plausible plausible answer behind the plate. And again, like the, the reason that, that were cited when Baseball Prospectus ranked him 66th was they kind of said, well, if the bat continues to be great, maybe we just really, you know, at some point, the bat can be really can be great enough at catcher that you start accepting lower and lower levels of defense. Right, or even like, hey, if there's a ten percent chance that he can continue to be a catcher and develops his receiving footwork, etc., then he's going to become a monster. Right. Yeah, he has right because he has the bat potential. Looks like a potential superstar bat at the catcher position it wouldn't be at first it might be playable at first um you know but it it probably it it looks like it has the potential to be really really good at catcher uh where you know if the defense can catch up to that point if it can get to that point then yeah maybe you do have something kind of special there and that's that's what they seem to be doing with a lot of these moves is they're trying to to get guys who have the potential to be above average starters at uh, the big league level of, you know, years down the road um, because what the system already had was a lot of guys who looked like decent major league 
leaguers, guys in the Michael Reed mold, where you go, yeah, he's probably a big leaguer. We don't know what role that's going to be, but he's he's very likely a big leaguer. Whereas somebody like um, Isa and Diaz or uh, Nottingham, but if everything goes right, they can potentially be stars, which is what the the farm system needed at the lower level. So. So would you say Nottingham also has a decent floor? Because if he does can't like the thing that that that's um, hard to predict is whether he can be a catcher. But his bat pretty, I mean, this is relatively solid. And I mean, yeah, it's a prospect, so he, you know any prospect can fail. But I would. It sounds to me like he'd be. A, there's a decent floor for him as a first baseman or right fielder or something like that. I mean, it, yeah, it sounds more like first base. Which of course, then the, the arm really doesn't matter because right, that's yeah. probably his best defensive. Not probably it's his best defensive tool, and at first yeah. base it doesn't play. You know, the Brewers are sort of loaded with guys who look like right fielders. That's a thing they have lots of, mm-hmm. um, especially right fielders with big arms going down from Santana. Yep. If, you know, Brett Phillips if he has to move off of center field to right field, which a lot of people think is likely as he mm-hmm. ages um so you have so, they have a lot of that but right. yeah it, it's it exists as a possibility so so kyle you're okay so you're a fan of chris davis and you were also um i wouldn't say a fan of john segura in the same way but higher on him than a lot of other people um in, at least in terms of glove. But in general, I mean, I think if you look at the value that Brewers got in return, I would think that the whole, like, uh, that your thesis on Chris Davis was basically validated by the amount of return that, especially if you believe baseball prospectus's um, version of Nottingham. And I, I didn't talk about the other guy, but I, I don't know if there's much to talk about um, except for the name. Um, Actually, um, he is a pretty pretty interesting prospect. He was a sixth round pick out of uh, San Diego State last year, <clears throat> and he was known there for his ability to miss bats, which immediately translated to the big league level with a thirty three or to the minor league level, excuse me, with a thirty three percent strikeout rate last season. Um, he only walked seven percent of hitters. He induced forty seven percent ground balls. And he worked to a 1.21 ERA in just over 37 innings, which I mean, those are pretty pretty promising results, I guess, at at a lower level for what that's worth. Mm. Um, baseball essential, talking about his changeup, that he says he grips it almost like a, a, a eagle's talon, or a, a yeah. Like a like the talent of a bird, so he calls it the falcon, and says that it, <laughs> and says that it drops like a splitter and pronates out like a changeup. Uh, <laughs> um, that's awesome. And then um, I found I something that awesome since the the vaunted gyro ball. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about that with somebody the other day. Um, Wait, isn't that how you basically hold a knuckleball though? Or I, don't, I can't picture how that's too much different. Um, as as far as the grip, Derby's pitch goes. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess I I didn't see a picture. We'll, of we'll have to wait for Enosaurus's uh, article to come out. It. Um. But then I guess it's also kind of worth noting that um, right after he was drafted, Chris Mitchell of uh, Fangraphs noted that 
he could be a very nice value pick from a sixth and uh, in, in the sixth round, and that Cato projects him for something like two point eight WAR through age twenty eight, which was pretty decent compared to the rest of the list that he produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he's kind of in the same vein as Cody Ponce, where he made a couple appearances last year at rookie ball and then got bumped up to low A. So he's probably a guy that he'll be 22 to start next season. That'll probably start in uh, Brevard County in high A. So, I mean, he that's could, a little, that's a little old for that or no. Um, 22 for Brevard County, I think is right around, right around league average. I think that's what okay. there was at that level this season. He was right around league average age. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's a little bit below the league average. It's all pretty much in line with like the the average prospect age. You know what I mean? Like the the average age versus the average age of real prospects that are at those levels. It's okay, always okay. a little the, it's a little bit younger. Right. That. But yeah. But so it's Kyle, right. um, thanks uh, thanks for that. But I I guess I did. I'm so glad I learned about the script. I'm gonna have to look this up now. Um, (laughs) uh, but as far as the, uh, um, uh, what I was telling, uh, saying earlier about, you know, the trade, I think vindicates your point of view on, on Davis and, and the Segura trade, not, not necessarily, um, because it's, it's unclear whether, uh, whether the diamond diamondbacks valued him, um, the same way or whether they kind of gave up too much which is seems to be the consensus. Yeah, I, I think it's it's more clear to see that Chris Davis was a was a valuable player like I've been saying for the last two and a half. Right. Years. Now now you can rub um, it in people's face. Yeah. But uh yeah, I, I think you're kind of right with Segura. We it's it's hard to look at what the Diamondbacks are doing and say specifically that that's how the rest of the league is looking at guys. It's mm-hmm. almost like they see a player that they want and then they make sure that they're going to get that player by offering almost insane packages, you know. Right. Um, just looking at this Shelby Miller trade or how they, I mean, they were, what, $10 million over anybody else for Zach Greinke. And they're making sure that they're getting the guys that they want that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what market value is for any of those players. Yeah. This whole, this whole, like all these trades, I mean, it's kind of, you know, super interesting. I think um, Derek Harvey just wrote in, uh, I think he's, Derek Harvey's the one who did the write up, right? I think for this trade for uh, brew crew ball. And um, um, yeah, quick one last night. And then I just had another, uh, a little bit more in depth one that came out today in regards to at least the prospects that were included in the deal. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, uh, everyone should should go check that out. Um, but yeah, I think Derek Harvey said yeah he he continues saying that it's just a good time to be a Brewers fan, and uh, and Ryan, it's, it seems like almost all like like all of national media just kind of loves what the Brewers are doing. Oh yeah, there's and there's an understanding, especially amongst the people that sort of get it, that uh, that they're taking really the the only path that was rational for them which was to tear down get younger get cheaper on the major league side and invest in long-term assets for a while while the the big three in the nl central just pummel each other into submission and you know the reds have 
sort of taken the same tact as the Brewers, though they're they feel like they're more in the where the Brewers were a couple years ago, where they were still they're still holding on to some stuff that maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Like you don't quite understand what what some of their motivations are for for what they're doing. Um, I think I've read this somewhere this winter that uh, Jack Walt Jackety has said that his goal is to kind of get back into a competitive mode by 2017. So I think they're targeting more of a, a retool and trying to get a little bit more advanced guys than like the Brewers are and and filling out their whole minor league system from top to bottom, top to bottom. Um, and trying to build something a little a little more sustainable, I guess, than trying to target a specific end goal for your rebuild. Yeah, which which is sort of what felt like the what the Brewers were up to maybe in two thousand and twelve when they were and and into thirteen when they had come off of the you know the grinky uh, years and they made the trade for Segura. They were targeting trying to get back in it for twenty fourteen and and fifteen, and that was at that point what they were hoping to do with the the end of you know in in the brewers case you know braun and lucroy and gomez being around in the reds case with vado and bruce being around i just it doesn't it seem like it's probably doomed to failure for the reds I mean, it, with the the cubs being the, the the juggernaut that they're becoming the Cardinals being the Cardinals and the, the Pirates just continuing to be one of the best run teams in baseball. I can, yeah, I can agree with that. I, I think that it's not, not in either the Brewers or the Reds best interest to try and reload super quickly just because it, it's going to be so competitive in the, in the near term future. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I can't even see, um, the sunset for for the Cubs, you know, like you can't even. It's not the Cubs aren't even at the position where you can say that, um, oh, you know, so and so is going to get older in two years or whatever. Like they're they're very good, they're very young, like, right? And, and, and so all, all their best players last year were rookies, almost. It's like they have at least another six year window, right? And exactly. As my brother likes to point out to me, they still have a farm system that's right higher than the Brewers. Oh, Jesus. Oh, even, right. though they've, if, even though they've already graduated all these guys, they've graduated Bryant and Schwarber and all these guys, and yet Farm Systems still ranked higher than the Brewers. I think according to Baseball America, actually, um, the Brewers, the, they just released it the other day, the Brewers were ninth, and the Cubs dropped all the way down to 20th in their rankings. So for whatever oh, that wow. but Yeah, because Keith Law had the Cubs fourth and the Brewers fifth. So... I guess everybody sees it a little bit differently. How how, how does this change with uh, when when Lucroy gets traded? Not at all. No, you don't think Lucroy will get the kind of return to like. Not that this matters, but but I mean, in my head, I think if Lucroy gets traded, Brewers bump up to number one. Oh, you mean how would their farm system change? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, thought yeah. you were asking how did these previous moves to no 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 how, like how, how much better does the farm system become depends on what stern's targets yeah i mean does he go after stern's could do something where he's prioritizing yeah i want to build this around somebody's top 25 prospect 
I want a deal that's built around a top 25 prospect. Or he could say, uh, I'll take somebody who's not a prospect anymore, but has six years of control remaining, like um, the catcher in Boston, like Swihart. Like right. that wouldn't impact the Brewers. If they traded Lucroy for Swihart, you know, and they, there would be some other pieces involved than that obviously but if Swart is the essential piece of that deal that doesn't move the needle on the reverse farm system because he's not a prospect mm. so it just sort of depends on what he targets or Stearns could do the opposite he could do the we're gonna trade Jonathan Lucroy for six guys and recreate the uh the Richie Sexton deal which is one of Doug Melvin's great moves like How, where you just bring in all these guys right. but they're not necessarily prospects they're like a mix of guys who have a little bit of control time not some you know and he can trade them or sort of do whatever with them but there's a ton of value packaged into that one you're trading one player for a package of six that what, can then what was the Tulowitzki deal like i can't remember now but oh, that was yeah it wasn't considered that great like I think they were considered. Like people thought they gave up more to get price, generally, right? Hmm. They got what, they got like three pitchers, I think, right? Three advanced pitchers mm. and Jose Reyes. Right. Okay, Jose Reyes. Yeah, that's what I'm because. So it was one of those because that uh, similar thing happened when, um, uh, the third baseman got traded, uh, where they gave up uh, Brett Laurie. Uh, Blue Jays gave a Brett Laurie for uh, Josh Donaldson, um, yeah. where it's where it's just like okay, well we're gonna go from a five six or a you know maybe a two war player to a six war player, and then make up the difference with prospects on the rest of it, um, which uh, comes back to full circle because the A's just uh, released um, or or DFA'd uh, one of the key uh, return guys right from that trade. Yeah, Sean uh, was who lost his spot. Yeah, in order to make room for Chris Davis. Um, Kyle, so what does the 2016 uh, Brewers roster look like now? I mean, the outfield was a little bit logjammed. Chris Davis is gone, so that gives my boy Domingo Santana a little more playing time, which I'm happy about. Um, maybe not in center, but maybe a little bit in center. Uh, who who plays in center field? Um, as far as all field alignment goes, I think the most sensible thing would be first to move Ryan Braun back to left field and play Santana in right field. And Braun has admitted, uh, I can't remember exactly when it was this offseason, but he admitted that Santana is the better defender and that, you know, he'd probably be willing to cede right field to him and, and move back to left. Um, but in center field, I I like Reimer Liriano a lot. Um, I wrote an article before the Brewers tr- uh, ended up trading for him that said that he's somebody that they should trade Ryan Target, but mm-hmm. Liriano had a 38-game stint in the big leagues in 2014, and he didn't perform all that well, and he struck out an awful lot. But then he came back last season and had, I think, like a 100, a 130 weighted runs created plus in AAA. Um, he's got some contact issues, but everybody's got contact issues these days, it seems like. The league average strikeout rate was 20% last year, and it's been on the rise for every year basically for the last decade so I think that some of that might be a little bit overstated um Liriano's probably better a better fit in right field which is where he has most of his experience in the minor 
years, but he has made 200 appearances in center field and should have the arm and the legs to play there. Um, I, I'm fairly certain that the Brewers are going to want to take a pretty good look at him, given his prospect pedigree and the fact that he doesn't have any minor league options remaining. So center field is probably going to make the most sense for him there. Um, but what's interesting is that now that Chris Davis is out of the picture, they can keep Liriano and Kirk Neuenweiss, a uh, veteran that they picked up off waivers, and um, Ramon Flores, who they got in the Luis Sardinas deal. All three of those guys are out of minor league options, but now they can probably keep all three of those guys on the big league roster and you know take their various looks at them however they choose. All right, guys, I have one more question for each of you, and then we can wrap this up. Kyle, what was your um, favorite slash most underrated uh, move that Stearns had, has made so far? Um, personally, I, I was a very big fan of the Chris Davis trade. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if, if recency bias or anything plays into that, but, but I thought that they got really terrific value for Chris Davis, who's been a criminally underrated player during his time in Milwaukee. Um, it, it answers the question of, you know, who's going to be our catcher of the future. And even though Stearns has said that that's not something that's affecting trading Jonathan Lucroy or not, it certainly makes it easier for casual fan and somebody like Tom Hardricourt, who seems like he's been railing against a Lucroy trade for forever now, to kind of understand and accept the fact that, hey, this, this guy's going to be on his way out. So, hmm. um Interesting. Yeah. All right, Ryan. So, different kind of question for you, which is, um, what do you think? How many games do you think the Brewers are going to win in 2016? And do you care? Oh, I definitely care. Uh, <laughs> I I will take the under on basically anybody's bet. <laughs> <laughs> You'll t- you just take the I'll under just, without see, knowing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start taking under bets just because it seems like there's a strong. <laughs> There seems to be a strong pull among Brewer Twitter for, oh, they're not going to be that bad record-wise. And I just think that Stearns has set this up for it to, one, he's going to continue to strip talent as the thing goes. He's going to he's going to continue, to, I shouldn't say strip talent, he's going to continue to, to move present value for future value. That is That is the trade-off he is going to continue to make over and over and over again, and I just don't see there. There comes I don't know. It, this gets into the the whole psychology, the unprovable stuff, the thing that as stat nerds we're supposed to hate and all that. But it it feels like there has to come a collapse point where like yeah, I know young players aren't supposed to know that like oh yeah, we're supposed to be losing. They're just gonna go out and try their hardest and whatever because they're trying to prove themselves and create a career. But at some point, like grinding out two to one wins in the middle of August, isn't going to be a thing. Like right, that's, right. that's not something that they're they're built for. I the starting rotation is better than it was last year, but I think the bullpen overperformed by quite a bit, and they have lost at least a little bit of depth in the bullpen. And it just the bullpen is one of those things that just bounces from year to year here and you can't like they had a great bullpen in 2011 they brought everybody back for 2012 and it literally destroyed the team all right well uh i think uh <laughs> we'll uh 
we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I was just going to say, Ryan, are you baking in the fact that Domingo Santana is going to have 45 dingers? In your, uh, and in your, you know, yeah, he's going to be a uh, 300, 400, 500, or so 300, 400, 600 player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even with that, I agree. Even with that, I think, uh, I think I'll take the under as well. All right, guys, thanks a lot for joining me for the podcast. Uh, I was talking to Ryan Top, who you can find his writing um, on Disciples of Euchre and find him on Twitter at rdtop. And then Kyle uh, Lezhneski, whose writings you can find everywhere on the internet, but especially on Disciples of Euchre and Brew Crew Ball. Thanks, guys.